This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. Well, a little bit sad to say this, but this will be our last show from Fort Worth, at least this year, as the women's basketball team was shocked indeed by the Wichita State Shockers in the quarterfinals of the American Athletic Conference Tournament. So we were planning on having some winning highlights and a bunch of them, but instead we're going to bring you one 30-second stretch in the game where it looked like the Bulls were absolutely going to come back and win, and instead an unlikely hero started to take over the game on the other side. And instead of the Bulls, it's the Wichita State Shockers, USF the only top four seed to not make the semifinals here in Fort Worth. We'll lay that out for you. We'll also give you a little conference action at the end of the hour with a brief version of Around the American. And we'll also hear from Jose Fernandez, who I thought was very good after the game. And for that matter, what Wichita State head coach Keith Adams said about the Bulls and about uh, something else that happened in the game. We'll get to that in our second segment. But let me tell you, despite the dejected nature of what happened here, it was overall a winning day in USF Athletics, two walk-off victories for softball that we'll have the highlights of in our second block, and baseball with a much-needed victory and a tremendous performance by Nolan Hooty. Ten strikeouts and got two runs of support after his day was done. Deservedly got the win. We'll have highlights as called by Jim Lauk here shortly. Even though it wasn't a win for women's golf, it certainly was a great day, finishing third in a field of 15 at an event in Dallas and having a school record get tied. So, yeah, there was plenty of positives in USF land. And we also, right now, have some great comments from Alex Golish after the Bulls' first practice. He held a press conference yesterday afternoon ahead of practice number two. Only three practices a week during the spring, and they're actually going to have a break next week. So a little bit early, but overall thoughts so far. It was awesome. Uh, it was awesome to see our staff coach. It was awesome to see our recruiting staff recruit. And it was uh, surreal in a lot of ways. You know, there was, there was times I was trying to figure out what to do at times in terms, in terms of meander over to different individuals. So I went and hung out with the defense. And, and, um, and that was fun. That was the first time in 20 years that I've done that. So, um, but I thought the energy was really good. The challenge to those guys after practice was simply to keep the energy through 15 practices, I think it's easy. Day one, I challenge them. What does two look like? What does three look like? And then what does practice 13, 14 look like? Now, he, of course, is an offensive coach. So first time as a head coach, I thought this was funny on how he went after things. We got a lot of things to fix. Uh, you know, I think more than anything, it was the first time I haven't been with, with a position group or, or the offense uh, in, my, in my coaching career. So it was by design to a sense of, you know, I wanted to spend more time with the defense, I think. You know, as, as you've been around different guys, you've worked for guys that, that don't ever meander to one side or the other. I thought it was important for, for all we've talked about is team and team and team. And I'm in it with you and I'm in it with you and I'm in it with you. So I wanted to go over and, and spend time with Coach Orlando and those coaches and, and certainly those players and did a little pursuit drill and a little tempo drill and um, had a plan. And then I got bored over there, so I went back to the offense. So And two areas that I'm sure he's watching keenly on offense. Everyone wants to start off with quarterback, but... And right now, you've got Gary Bohannon and Katravis Marsh. They're not going to be playing in the spring. And Byron Brown, of course, looked pretty good in his little stint last year. But who's he going to throw to? And with both Xavier Weaver and Jimmy Horn now with Colorado, and only a few returning, 
that's an area of concern. Coach Golish mentions that group at the end of this block starts with a long bit of commentary on the offensive line. He was asked by Joey Knight of the Tampa Bay Times, who was at the press conference Tuesday, to address both of those groups. I think we got a long way to go at both. Um, you know, a bunch of O-line-wise, a bunch of guys graduated. I was really, really impressed with what that group looked like in day one. I think I think Hoodie and, and his crew have done a really good job through these first eight weeks of, of the semester getting those guys ready schematically for what was about to come. They weren't shocked by the tempo. They weren't shocked by how fast it was all happening. It was really, really good to see that really there's – there's 13 guys going through spring, so it's not it's not a huge group of guys. You want to be right around 16 to 20, um, but I thought they handled it really well. It was really good to see see that group. You know the the transfers. Bowie was more impressive than I thought he would be. Um, you know Bowman was more impressive than I thought he would be, and then AB the the guys that were here. Um, I thought they all took a step forward. Um, you know it'll be exciting to see Donovan back in. Um, he's going through individual right now. I think we're going to hold it there for at least the foreseeable future, get, get his, his ankle back as good as it can be. It's not worth taking a whole lot of risk there right now, but he's going through all of the mental stuff, going through all of the individual, everything where he can't get rolled up on, he's going through, which according to our medical staff is ahead of schedule, which is awesome. And, uh, but, you know, I thought R.J. Perry at times flashed. I mean, Nikola Milovic, like for a freshman from Serbia, I was really, really impressed with with him. But really, that that whole group I thought did a really good job. Again, no pads on, so you're seeing how fast they're playing. You're seeing guys come off the ball, but you're not finishing anybody. You know, from a pass pro standpoint, or guys running by you, or or guys just running free. Didn't see that. So I was really impressed with that group. The Second part of your question, the receiver group, I think in what we do on offense, that is generally the, the group that's going to take a second. Uh, it is happening really fast, like really fast for those guys. Um, so I would say probably hold judgment here for a couple of weeks and see that group. It's not a very thick group. Um, we've got, you know, we've got three more guys, young guys that are coming in in May, which will give us some more depth. But it was it was as thin of a group, you know, with Ajo Ajo is limited right now and, and Chaffrey is limited. You're you're not once you get past the initial first group, you're you're searching a little bit. I'm guessing that the search will include a look back into the transfer portal. He mentioned Coach Hoodie, that's Tyler Hudanik, who we had Jim Lauk interview a couple weeks back if you want to peruse our unlimited unloaded page you can find that conversation also he mentions ab i want to confirm but it sounds like andrew beardall who's listed as the long snapper but we'll work to confirm also the transfers from tennessee rj perry and Derek bowman from houston also very interesting comments here off the field although it'll probably impact what they do on the field as tuesday was the day that the board of trustees approved 22 million dollars of funding to spend on the design of the stadium and he got really into how important that was and how important it's going to be not just to have an on-campus stadium, but to have the football center that goes along with it. I think you'll enjoy this. Got me a little excited. Really, really big, that, that initial approval. First time anything's actually been officially approved for that uh, financially. So that thing's going to be up, be right there. We're going to open in 26 in there. Um, as much as I've pushed to, 
get it done as fast as we can. You know, my hope is the football complex, the operations building is ahead of that. Um, but I think just another step towards towards the commitment that USF and our board are making towards putting putting that stadium on campus. I think it's it's the next step of our growth as a program. It's the next step of our growth as a university. And um, I actually that's that that image of of kids waking up doing whatever they do before a game and walk into that stadium. Uh, I think that's one of the coolest parts of college football is, is that, what it'll do for the community, what it'll do for the past 26 years of football players that came through here and built through the good and the bad, built this place and can walk by there and say, tell their kiddos, I built that, you know, I was part of building that. So huge step. I know they got a long way to go in terms of breaking ground on it. But the design phase, we've sat through meetings now for three months. Um, I've never, never thought about sun studies and canopies and fan experience like I have the last three months. But um, we've got a team of, of, of guys and gals that are working through that. It is exciting. It is cool to be a part of building something like that. You know will be there for a really long time. You know, everybody asks, does it help with recruiting? I, I think what, what helps with recruiting is that they see a commitment towards growing. At the end of the day, that's what this indoor facility is. That's what the commitment to getting a staff in here um, of the caliber that we've been able to put together, the resources that have allowed us to hire a really big staff of a lot of really, really incredible people. So it's the commitment of all of that. Buildings, people, um, I think that more so than actually breaking ground on a stadium. So. I keep, I do keep saying, let's throw a crane out there and start swinging around, and it'll that'll really look like we're building a stadium. But, um, but you know, you try to be really positive about all of it. Cause playing at Ray J is pretty cool too now, so it's not like that's a must need to go win. I think it's a must need for us to take the next step as a program. You can describe that however you want, whatever that next step actually looks like. For me, as the head football coach, it's our next step is to practice really well tomorrow. I think administratively and, and for a fan base and, and a university community, the next step is that stadium. And, of course, we'll continue to give you more football coverage. I'll actually be back in town a little bit sooner than I thought to maybe watch some practice. That's because of what happened on Tuesday afternoon at the Dickies Arena in Fort Worth, Wichita State, a team that two years ago people probably don't remember when the Bulls were the number one seed won the conference championship, but they really struggled with the Shockers. In fact, they were losing that game early by as many as eight points, came back, took the lead, and never really put it away. In fact, never had a two-possession lead, in other words, four points, until the final minute. That was a 48-44 game. Then last year, the Bulls and Shockers met up a couple times, and both were close games that, frankly, they could have easily lost. And then earlier this year, the Bulls and a close game at half, blew out the Shockers with a 25-6 third quarter. Well, one thing that happened in that game that did not happen in Fort Worth on Tuesday was Sammy Puisis going off. She scored 26 points in that first meeting, and this time 0 for 10 from the floor, 2 points. Wichita State's defense was right up in the Bulls' business all the way through this one, and they needed, as it turned out, all three of their big three to have big games, and two had good games. No one had that takeover phenomenal game, and the Shockers got one from an unlikely source. 65-53, 
Wichita State, which had never made it to the semifinals of the American Athletic Conference. Of course, they joined about midway through. And the Bulls, who in year 10 were looking to not only win the championship, but obviously to get to the semifinals, something they had never failed to do. So with those two bits of history in mind, you figured that the Bulls, even though they were down 8 nothing early, were going to at some point get things going. Well, that point didn't come until the third quarter because it was a 12-point game at the half. The Bulls had only faced one larger deficit all year long at halftime, and that was their blowout loss against Villanova. Now, you didn't think Wichita State was going to blow out the Bulls, and sure enough, that wasn't the case, but the first half was rough. Bulls hit just 8 for 31. Their leading scorer, Elena Chinecki, had 7 points, but on 3 of 11 shooting, and Dulcie Fangamengiadu had just 1 rebound. On the other side, Wichita State's top player, she averages a double-double, big-time hustle player. Jane Asinde scored 12 points, and they shot 50% compared to the Bulls. 25 percent. Asinde made a three. She's only made four in her career. She's only attempted 17 and two of them have come against the Bulls. So there's something about Jane Asinde making threes against the Bulls that's a little bit of an annoyance but nothing compared to the player that you would not have expected to do certain things taking over in the third quarter. We said that it was close in Wichita and the Bulls put on a 25 to 6 third quarter run. Well in this game you're going to hear them get it to 13-3 to in the third quarter and get the margin to two. Do the math. 13-3, to last time it was a 25-6. to Double that up and you're, you're in command. Instead, it became the Kratisha Dean Show. Chinecki, two nice screens to get her open for three. Good! Elena Chinecki knocks it down. And the margin is only two. And the crowd is making some noise on the other side, the bench as well. And Wichita State looks a little bit staggered on offense right now. McCarty just wants to do a one-man game. Can't get it inside, so they send it out to, that's Dean. McQuesis on her, puts up a long three. Good, Patricia Dean. Hasn't made more than two threes in a game all year. She just knocked that down when her team needed it. Back to the Chinecki shot on a day where stunningly, Wichita State made more threes than the Bulls. Six for 13 compared to four for 22. That was at the end of a situation where the Bulls had missed their first free throw, and they end up getting four out of the possession. So it really did feel like it was turning completely in the Bulls' favor. You could have seen them having a five, six-point lead by the end of the quarter. And again, they were down by as many as 15 in the game. But then Dean hits that shot, and boy, did she get confident after that. Scored nine points in three and a half minutes. They went to her exclusively on offense. Kertisha Dean played two years in junior college, was a fine player, then was hurt, then played one season last season at Seton Hall and averaged less than four points per game, averaged less than 12 minutes per game. And if you're curious, and I was, is she somebody that, you know, when the bright lights of the conference tournament turn on, she just becomes a different player? Nope. Nope. Last year at Seton Hall, they were the sixth seed. They played three games. They got to the semifinal, and Kertisha Dean did not score a point, played about a total of 20 minutes. And then, to make it worse, on Monday, Wichita State defeated Temple, no points. So we're talking about somebody who literally had not scored a point, had done nothing in a conference tournament game, taking over this one, and Kertisha Dean wins the game for Wichita. I know that Jane Asende scored 20 points and had eight rebounds, but Dean's 14 points as unlikely as anything. Now, of course, the Bulls have had games this year where someone that doesn't do a lot of scoring 
steps up like a Marina Asensio, like a Danny Gonzalez, and we think that's great. It doesn't bother us, but boy, oh boy, you just would not have said, yeah, Wichita State's going to beat the top seed USF because of Curtisia Dean. But it wasn't just her. It was their defense. The Bulls continued to struggle shooting, even though they started off that third quarter with that 13-3 run. They were sinking plenty of shots then, but that Chenecki three was the only make from three-point land. They were one for six, and they were one for five in the fourth quarter, and that only make was after the starters were pulled. Yes, this game, if you listen to the broadcast, and you'll have a few chances to catch it on replay. We won't replay it that often. You hear me basically call it with more than six minutes to go that just had that vibe that the Bulls were not going to get the shots they needed. And on the other side, the Shockers, well-coached, were bleeding the clock. And they had two consecutive possessions with an air ball shot clock violation. It really didn't matter. Wichita State pulls off the Shocker 65-53. to They will play Houston in today's semifinal. And Memphis, which got a big scare from UCF, will play East Carolina in the other semifinals. So what does this all mean? First of all, let's hear from Wichita State's Keitha Adams, who gives big respect to the Bulls and then explains how they shut down Sammy Puisis, and that was as big a factor as anything. We harped on Katisha Dean having a big game out of nowhere. Well, if Puisis just has an average game of around, well, her average, then the Bulls win. You know, I want to recognize South Florida uh, and Jose. Their program um, is so, so incredibly good, and we've had um, – a lot of dogfights and close games with them. Uh, today, I thought our, our team just played extremely hard, and all of our kids played uh, with a lot of passion, and it's March time. I'll be honest, I, I, I just told our team with number three, you know, her song is 369, and we need her to be 248. You know, you need to get her off the three-point line. You need her shooting twos and not threes because she's so good at it. Whoever's guard number three, which we ear-tagged who that was going to be, she needs to be able to smell what you ate for breakfast this morning. You know, you need to be up on her because she's such a great shooter. And I just kept talking about she needs to be able to smell your breath and know what you had for breakfast. I know that's a, a probably an interesting way to make a teaching point, but that was the teaching point. Oh, we get the point, Coach. But seriously, a lot of respect for her, and it's mutual. We'll see how they do against Houston. Can they pull off the upset? I think Houston's the favorite to win it all, even though they're the four seed. But the league will get two teams in, and that's where we sort of go into the not just Bulls situation, after the loss, we'll get there with Jose in a second, but the actual importance of that result to everyone in the country that is sitting on the bubble. We've been talking about it for a while, how every projection has essentially every at-large going to a Power Six conference, Big East included in that. And the only way more leagues are going to get two teams in, and by the way, again, I would love for a system where there's more spots available and you can just have naturally at-larges from non-power conferences more than just two or three but in this case the only way for there to be additional spots going to non-power conferences is specifically for the regular season champion to get upset and it happened twice on Tuesday didn't just happen to the Bulls Gonzaga got beat by Portland in the WCC finals and so what does that mean the Bulls dropped from 30 to 35 in today's net ranking they're definitely getting in but that math put you right in the 8-9 game. The Bulls have been in the 8-9 game the last two NCAA tournaments. In San Antonio, they had to play NC State in the second round. And last year, they would have had to play eventual champion South Carolina, but they lost to Miami. So, will the Bulls be there again? You have to expect it. You almost, and I was talking to a staffer afterwards as I was 
packing up my gear. It was kind of somber, but he was cool, and he said, you guys almost would rather just drop to a 10, and it is actually possible if you do the math. But either way, what yesterday meant is not just with the Bulls, but two bubble teams from power conferences likely get bumped off, and for me, it's actually a good thing, even though the way it happened with the Bulls is not what you have wanted. Now, Gonzaga has really got to be sweating. The Bulls are in good stead, but Gonzaga's conference was so weak, their net ranking kept dropping and dropping, and today they dropped to 45, so they are probably on the bubble themselves, Gonzaga, even though they've been in the top 25. Also interesting that another team that's recently been ranked and only has lost twice, UNLV, barely won its Mountain West semifinal. They might now have to think they've got a win tonight because, yeah, they're in the top 25 by the voters, but they're 51 in the computer ranking, so it could be worse. And especially it was a bad day if you were a power conference team like an Arkansas or an Oregon on the bubble. Here's some of Jose Fernandez, not just what went down in Fort Worth, but trying to remind everybody, hey, the season's not over. We've won 26 games for a reason. We're still a really good basketball team. We just didn't play well tonight. All over the country, it happens on the women's side and on the men's side, right? That's what March is all about. I know bubble teams are not happy because, you know, somebody in this league stole a bid. But I don't want one loss to diminish the job that these two guys have done and the rest of the guys in that locker room. Because we've had a very, very good year. We had a very good November and December, and over 16 nights we proved that we were the best team in this conference. All right? So uh, I know it's going to hurt because uh, we wanted to come here, win three games in three days, and cut the nets down and bring, and bring another trophy back to Tampa. Well, it didn't happen, right? You know, it's a life lesson. When you're in college and you play sports, you learn a lot of life lessons. Now we got to regroup. There's a lot of teams that would like to be in the position that we're at, right? That we lost in a conference tournament and our season's not over. We still have basketball to play. Yeah, we lost. It sucks, but we got to move on. But I'm proud of this team. I'm proud of the season we've had. It's unfortunate that, that uh, we, you know, we didn't play well. And we got beat by a team that played very inspired. They were well coached. They made shots. You got to got to give Wichita State some credit too. His point about other teams would love to be in the Bulls position, ask a team like Little Rock that went 17 and 1 in conference play in the Ohio Valley and couldn't hit a three-pointer in their final and got beat by Tennessee Tech. Their season is over. They'll go to the WNIT, but they have no chance of making the NCAA and a conference that you think might be a two-bid league like the Atlantic 10, but its co-leaders who were fantastic kind of separated themselves, only lost 4 games each. Rhode Island and UMass both got knocked off by a below 500 St. Louis team until St. Louis won the championship in overtime and is 17 and 17. And Rhode Island and UMass, yep, they're going to the WNIT. So definitely could be worse. He is right. And we won't be doing a Bulls beat tomorrow. So we'll just add here on the Unlimited Unloaded page some new details from Wednesday on a couple of fronts. First of all, the sun came up today. Actually, it was pretty cloudy and cold, but I still got in a nice run anyway. It was a sunny prognostication from Charlie Cream on ESPN.com. The Bulls essentially weren't affected by the loss. He still has them in the seven seed going to Stores, Connecticut, by the way. So, yeah, a win in this tournament would have been about maybe getting the Bulls up to the six line, possibly the five. So, hey, if it doesn't knock them to the eight, nine slot, then it really didn't hurt them that much. And in other news on Wednesday morning slash early afternoon, in the Mid-American Conference quarterfinals where it was the one against the eight, and the one was a Toledo team that was dominant in that conference, beat Michigan this year, went 16-2 in league play, 
and was playing Buffalo, which, similar to Wichita State, 7-11, and had to go overtime to beat Buffalo. And if Toledo doesn't win that game, they're going to the WNIT. So we're getting results like this all over the place. It's not just the Bulls that got upset and everyone else is you know, going according to seed. Whatever the seed is for the NCAA tournament and whatever the destination is, we'll find out on Sunday night. The selection show is at 8. I'll be at the Yingling Center, and when the team finds out, we'll break in live with an update and some reaction. Let's hear some highlights from a winning Tuesday night at the baseball and softball complexes. Man, did the Bulls need it on the baseball side of things. A 2-1 victory against Pitt, which came in a couple games above 500, while the Bulls were on a six-game losing streak had not lost seven games in a row since 2011. Well, in this game, it didn't start well. Pittsburgh gets a home run in the first inning, and the Bulls are having trouble against their starting pitcher, Holden Phelps. In fact, they didn't get a hit off of him until the fifth inning. But Nolan Hootie, this was a big tipping point. He started the season as the number two starter for the Bulls and struggled, frankly. Wasn't bad, but wasn't solid enough and got bumped into midweek status. And boy, did he perform midweek here. Called strike three, inning over Nolan Hootie with runners on second and third and one out. Strikes out number three in the order. Strikes out number four in the order. With two outs here in the six, bases empty. It's three and two on Kyle Hess. Got him on strikes. Ten strikeouts for Nolan Hootie. And he completes six innings of work, keeping the Bulls close. Jim Lauk, of course, on the call thanks to ESPN+. And after that 10th strikeout, Hootie was just really jacked up. He was pointing to his chest. And how could you not score some runs for a guy after that? You could, because the Bulls did. Stanton Luthner, the transfer from Stony Brook, fell behind 0-2 and golfed a single through the right side. Then Daniel Cantu got hit by the next pitch. So a chance for something here. A 3-2 count got it going for the Bulls. Bottom of the six, Bulls trying to get on the board here. Runners go, ground ball, that's going to get off the shortstop's glove. They're going to wave Luthner home. Everybody's safe. It's a one-to-one game. Montez has driven in five on the season. Bunts it, taken by the first baseman. He'll go to first. The run will score, and South Florida takes the lead. Oh, man, they needed that. Boy, Montez has been really good. And the Bulls get a save from Riley Skeen. And as I said, a much-needed victory, 2-1. to one. Yes, their overall record doesn't look good, 4-9, but now they got a little momentum as they head to Long Beach. More highlights courtesy of ESPN Plus from the softball diamond where Ryan Urquhart and Georgina Korik dug in for a long day, a doubleheader. We told you going into this extended Bulls Invitational that the Bulls would be playing seven games in six days so you had to go six and one to finish above 500 the bulls were two and seven at one point well they did in fact they're on an eight and one string of their schedule thanks to two comeback extra inning walk-off victories for the bulls they were down to a previously winless pen team in game one five to nothing Jaden martinez a freshman could not get out of the first inning antonette hill took it up to the sixth inning And then Peyton Dixon brought it home with three hitless innings, striking out five. Man, has the freshman been something. But the Bulls needed to help out in the run scoring department, and they got back into it in a much-needed four-run fifth inning. All it took was a perfect bunt to get things going by Jordan Cadlub. 
Great to see her start to put some stuff together, by the way. And then, after that, two straight four-pitch walks, followed by back-to-back RBI singles from lefties Emily Hanlon, who's now hitting 400, by the way, and Megan Sheehan. And then Alyssa Reno hits a sack fly that, frankly, should have just been one run but turned into two on the throw home. Whatever it took, they were back in the game. However, they went into the final inning down by a run and needed something to happen. Well, it started with Camille Ortiz-Martinez, the freshman, whipping a double to the center field wall. She is something. She's hitting 381 in limited at-bats, but a homer and three doubles now among her eight hits. And then a big-time moment here to tie the score. Payoff pitch is grounded through the right side. Zwei gets the windmill at third, and she's in. Tie game at five in the seventh. Again, my good friend Ryan Urquhart on the call for ESPN+. And to quote Dave Wills, the Bulls still left some meat on the bone because a sack bunt by Hanlon had it second and third in a tie game with one away, but a ground out and a strikeout, so there was some disappointment there. But the eighth inning couldn't have gone better as Peyton Dixon sets him up three up, three down, and the Bulls, Three batters, three pitches, and a walk-off. First pitch, tribal piece, smokes this into right center. And she'll turn it for extra bases. Goes into second, standing up. Anything on the ground, especially as long as it's not in front of the runner, you're going to be able to move uh, Beavis over to third and give your team an excellent chance statistically to win this ball game right here. And it is one of the vets, Megan Piero, to the plate. She'll square to bunt. Pops it up, lands in the perfect spot. The throw to first is in time, moves the runner. And South Florida's got a dub 60 feet away. And Jordan Cadlub. First pitch swinging. This could do it. It drops into no man's land. Beavis on the way home. And South Florida rallies to win it in the eighth. What an exciting ball game we've had here today. That's right, Georgina. And we'd have another exciting game. Marissa Trivalpiece, again, has got the batting average above 300 with a team-high 10 RBIs. Tied with Allie Brighton that category and she has a two-run tie-breaking double in the second inning Bulls go ahead four to two but Penn would score in each of the next three innings against a variety of Bulls pitchers and then the scoring slowed down for Penn once you know who Peyton Dixon entered picks up her second win out of the pen in a day against Penn with three innings did give up a run but struck out seven Bulls tie it up on a big hit by Megan Piero she needed that her second and third RBI of the year and then we go to the eighth inning Dixon gets out of a little bit of a jam, and it was a quick finish because the freshman, Kathy Garcia, laid down a great bunt and came home two pitches later. Eichemann gives this a ride deep into left field, and it's off the wall. Kathy Garcia Soto gets the green line at third. This could end the game. Garcia Soto is safe, and for the second time today, the Bulls walk it off. So, yeah, that's why we love all the sports, and we cover them all. As bummed as we were, after the basketball team lost, you just heard a pretty exciting night for baseball and softball, and it was a pretty thrilling afternoon for women's golf in Dallas, tying the school record for three rounds of 852. That was 12 under par. They shot a 10 under par round on Tuesday to finish in third place behind two conference foes as it happened, SMU 24 under par. Houston 19 under par was 14 under for the round, and USF finished well clear of fourth-place Tulsa by seven shots. Melanie Green was four under par for her final round, finished tied for fifth at four under for the event. Juliana Camargo finished three under on her last round, six under for the event, fourth place. That is her career best. Also in the top ten, Lauren Heinlein 
who had the five birdie run on Monday, ended up with a three under 69 on her final round and wrapping up the team score for the Bulls, Alize Vidal with an even par score. We're going to talk to these young ladies really soon as I'll be back home for a good solid week. In fact, I'll be on the microphone for softball tomorrow night as the Bulls play Penn State. They got their game Friday afternoon against Illinois. Got to be honest, got a little packing to do, so we're not going to do the conference show around the American, and we're going to take the show off tomorrow. Thursday morning, we'll replay the victories for men's basketball against East Carolina this year and hope they make it 3-for-3 as they start off the conference tournament in Fort Worth. That'll wrap up Bulls Beat. We'll talk to you guys again softball on Thursday and with the show on Friday. I'm Derek Sharp.